Hello and welcome to Expressing the Genius Within Radio, where we talk about all things self-awareness, self-discovery, and unique strengths. On this show, we interview unique individuals who are clearly expressing their own unique genius and sharing it with the world. Self-awareness is a very funny thing. In Sanskrit, there's a phrase called neti neti. It means not this, not this. Most of us stumble through life finding ourselves, if at all, through a process of negation or learning what we are not through experience. This takes a very long time and is often far more painful than it has to be. Rather than stumbling, falling, and failing your way to self-awareness, although there is value in that and it's actually how I became obsessed with it all in the first place, there are better ways, less painful ways. Our goal here is to highlight those individuals who are expressing their own unique genius, who have found it, and we wanna motivate you to follow your soul's purpose and find your own unique genius so you can express it and share it with the world. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Expressing the Genius Within Radio. Today I have a special guest. Uh, I've read two of his best-selling books, Hooked and Indistractable. The author is Nir Ayal. Nir, go ahead and introduce yourself to the, the group. Thank you so much. Yeah, great to be here. So I am uh, what you call a behavioral designer. So I study and teach about how to change behavior. Uh, I mostly work with companies to help them build products to create healthy habits in people's lives. And I also, most recently, I uh, uh, kind of looked at the other side of the coin, which is about how do we break the bad habits in our life that lead to distraction. I love that. I love that. So about two or three years ago, uh, I received the book Hooked. And uh, it was amazing, and it showed you know companies how to build um, <laughs> almost habit-forming products, right? And it, and then a couple of years later, I saw Indistractable, and it was the the exact kind of opposite. And it seemed to me that it was teaching consumers how to not get hooked. <laughs> was there was there any kind of um, remorse in you know understanding the the underlying dynamics of getting people hooked, and then coming back to say, okay, well we are distracted now by some of these products. Uh, maybe I need to, to kind of arm the other side. Was that part of your thought process there? No, 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 it's, uh, it's different products. So, uh, you know, we use Hooked in order to build healthy habits in people's lives. So uh, some good examples. So Fitbod used the Hooked model to get people hooked to exercise. Uh, Kahoot, the world's largest educational company, started by using the Hooked model uh, to get kids hooked onto education. Uh, my clients have included the New York Times, uh, who I've helped get people hooked to interacting with, with current affairs. So what we're talking about here is using the same tactics that the gaming companies and Facebook and YouTube use to get you hooked so that we can democratize these techniques and so that all sorts of businesses can use these same tactics for good, right? My book ah. came out in 2014. Uh, Facebook was founded in 2006. So I, I, I wish I could take credit for Facebook, but I, <laughs> the, the idea was to teach people what makes these products so sticky. Why do we keep checking uh, products like Facebook and YouTube and Instagram and WhatsApp and Slack and our email? And by understanding those psychological principles, we can do two things. One, we can build better products, right? Nobody is getting addicted to educational software or enterprise software, you know? Uh, right. People would get hooked to 
software that helps, you know, apps that help them exercise. That'd be great. Uh, think about how much better the world would be if people took care of their health through these apps. Unfortunately, it's much harder than uh, than than maybe people think it is. It's 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 really tough to get people to do something they don't want to do. And I, I frankly don't know how to do that. What I can help people do is the behaviors they want to do, but for lack of good product design, don't do. So that's really where I, I come in. So it's different products. So we can build good habits with some products. That's what Hooked is for. And then Indistractable is about how do we make sure we can break the bad habits in our lives. Uh, and, and, and look, anything can be a distraction, right? So anything that takes you off track from what you really want to do is potentially a distraction. So my goal was, you know, I, I really believe that becoming indistractable is the skill of the century. You know, I, I wrote indistractable for me more than anyone else. I, I wrote it because I was struggling with distraction. I've always struggled with distraction until I figured out how to become indistractable. I don't have a lot of self-control. I don't have a lot of willpower. I would say I was going to exercise, but I didn't. I would say I would eat right. I wouldn't. Uh, I would say I was going to be fully present with my daughter, and yet I'd check my phone. Uh, I would say I was going to work on that big project at my desk at work, and yet somehow I would procrastinate or get distracted by doing something else. And so, you know, I really thought about what what superpower I would want. So I, I could tell you, I want the power to be indistractable. Imagine how amazing our lives would be if we simply did whatever it is we said we were going to do. And so when I looked for, okay, what's the secret to that? How do we do it? I couldn't find any book that solved the problem. What I found were some books that, you know, are not very scientific, are based on hocus pocus uh, uh, and don't really work. And then the other category was books that say, well, just get rid of your cell phone. Stop using social media. Stop checking email. Well, thanks for nothing, stupid. I can't. I'm going to get fired from my job if I just stop using technology. That doesn't make any sense. So I really wanted a tech positive approach that doesn't tell you to get rid of your cell phone and social media. That's stupid advice. Instead of what I want to show people is that we can turn distraction into traction and live the kind of life we want by becoming indistractable, by using these tools in a way that benefits us, uh, that, that we use as opposed to these tools and technologies using us. I love that. I love that. So I want to get a little bit into your origin. I love origin stories. What what in your life um, got you on track to write your your first book? And you know what what type of research did you do? I know you're very based in in kind of science and proven uh, methods. Uh, tell us a little bit about your origin and how you got to where you are. How, how did you begin your journey? Yeah. So for me, I uh, well, okay. It depends how far back you want to go. I think <laughs> my fascination in this field probably started when I was uh, a kid, actually. So I was clinically obese for a good chunk of my life. Um, I remember my mom took me to the doctor's office and he showed me this chart and he said, all right, Nir, look, this is uh, your body weight. This is your height. Uh, in this category, uh, you know, this is where people would fit into this, you know, the green part of the chart, that's the normal weight. Then you got the yellow part of the chart, that's the overweight. And here you are, you're in the red category, which is obese. Uh, and I, I remember the, the, the powerlessness that I felt around food. And I felt like food was controlling me. And uh, at one point, I, I really, you know, I, I blamed everybody but myself. I blamed, uh, you know, the, 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 the television and I blamed the food companies and McDonald's. They were all doing it to me. They were all making me fat. But of course, that doesn't 
that doesn't work and it's not true, right? What is, what is blaming other people going to do for you? At the end of the day, I, I had to be honest with you. I know now why I was obese. Uh, and I think many people who are obese will tell you a similar story if, if, uh, uh, if they really want to be honest. Uh, and it's hard to, to explain this, but look, the reason that I overate wasn't because I was hungry. It was because I was eating my feelings. Right. right. I was eating when I was bored. I was eating when I was tired. I was eating when I felt guilty about overeating. Uh, and many of us do that. Uh, and, and it's the same exact problem we have today with technology. We love to blame Facebook. We love to blame the iPhone. We love to blame everything else. But the fact of the matter is we get distracted for the same exact reasons. It's all about an emotion regulation problem. It's not a character flaw. There's nothing wrong with you. It's just that we don't have the skills, the tools to deal with distraction in a healthier manner, to deal with these uncomfortable emotional states in, in a way that leads towards uh, the things we want to do in the life we deserve. And instead, we use these things as an escape from these uncomfortable sensations. So that really, you know, that that that, that's, that fascination with how uh, my behavior felt like it was controlled by something outside of me. And then when I when I figured out how to overcome that, that was an incredibly liberating experience. And I think I've carried that with me both fast. You know, I was always fascinated by how companies market their products to persuade us. But also, where is the line? Where do we have agency? Where where is it persuasion? When is it coercion? Uh, and so that kind of you know stuck with me for a very long time. And so, you know, fast forward to uh, 2006, I went to Stanford Business School and started a company right out of, of uh, that program that was at the intersection of gaming and advertising. And this was when, you know, uh, Facebook was just hitting its stride. And uh, uh, I heard Mark Zuckerberg come speak at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. And I was I was really fascinated by how these products were so good at changing human behavior. And I thought, wow, this is this is uh, this is amazing. Like, what if we could use what makes video games and social media so sticky to help people change their lives for good? Why can't we use that same power? And so I wanted to research how they did it. And I couldn't find any book on the topic. There was no book how to build habit forming products. And so I started blogging about it at first. I just did research and uh, published on my blog. And then my blog started being picked up and spread around the Internet. And uh, one day I got an email from an old professor of mine. This was after I graduated, several years after I graduated, uh, uh, about four years after I got an email from my, uh, former professor who said, I really like your model. Uh, what do you think about teaching a class together? So that started my career teaching at Stanford for many years. And then I, wow. I, uh, uh, published that those years and years of research I published into my first book hooked, uh, which has sold over a quarter million copies. And uh, then uh, five years later, I published this next book, Indistractable, which which utilizes a lot of the same research. And uh, I think I'm in a really good vantage point to to be credible on this topic because, you know, I know distractions Achilles heel. Right. I know how these products are designed. I know how they're built and uh, I can teach people how to overcome them and how to use them in a way that serves us as opposed to us feeling like we are serving them. I love that. So, you know, without, of course, we want everyone to read Indistractable, um, but I want to touch upon some of the things that I implemented from the book that made immediate impacts for myself. Um, one was, you know, creating time blocks, which is amazing. Um, two was the, the recommendation of SaneBox. 
it, oh, it was it was literally you know even it's not a product that you built um but it helps in in the cause and it's amazing how really how little relevant and and uh useful emails that you get once you begin filtering out all of the the spam right yeah. and uh for me it was incredible and then the third thing obviously was notifications on the phone and the computer it's you know explaining this to people who haven't read indistractable when you're working and you get a little notification even if you don't look at it directly but you kind of see it from the side eye of your your phone it go off you get distracted can you walk our listeners through that process and dive into like how long it takes you to get back on track once you've been distracted yeah so so let's start with what what does that term even mean right let's let's make sure we we are all on the same page in terms of what is distraction i think this is a really important distinction you know if you ask most people what's the opposite of distraction they'll tell you it's focus right but that's not actually true that the opposite of distraction is not focus the opposite of distraction is traction that both words come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And they both end, both words end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action. So traction, by definition, is any action that pulls you towards what you want to do, things that you do with intent, things that help you live out your values and be the kind of person you want to become. The opposite of traction is distraction any action that pulls you away from what you plan to do, that pulls you away from your values, that that uh, uh, keeps you from becoming the kind of person you know you can become. So this is a really important dichotomy because any action can be either traction or distraction. So, you know, let me give you an example of something that used to get me all the time, back to your example of, you know, you get a little notification on your phone or you get a little beep on your screen or a, a, an icon. And many times we think to ourselves, well, that's something productive, right? Right. It's, I, I'm getting this email notification. Uh, I got to check email at some point. So let me just check it real quick. But people don't realize that that is the most pernicious form of distraction. It's the distraction that tricks you into prioritizing the urgent at the expense of the important. And if you want to stay on the treadmill of life, uh, and never moving forward, you know, it's called the red queen effect, running faster and faster and getting nowhere, give in to distractions, do that, check that email. Because it turns out the people who achieve their lifelong goals, the people who get ahead, the people who, uh, who, who do better than most, the people who are happier in life, have greater psychological well-being, greater physical health. These are the people who are able to put distractions in their place. They are able to control their attention and therefore choose their life. Because, you know, when you sit down at your desk and you say, OK, I'm going to work on that big project. I really need to finish that thing that I've been delaying. I need to really sit down and do my work here. But let me just check email real quick. You have allowed distraction to trick you. And people don't realize that. They think, well, OK, well, that, that's kind of a productive thing to do. But it's the worst form of distraction. You know, if you sat down at your desk and you start playing Candy Crush, well, that's kind of obviously a distraction, right? You know, everybody knows you're slacking off if you're, you know, checking Facebook at, at work. But I would argue it is just as much of a distraction to check email or to do that task that you didn't plan to do, to do that quick to do on your to-do list if that's not what you plan to do. So anything that is not what you plan to do is distraction. And conversely, everything you do plan to do is traction. 
So I, you know, as I said earlier, I don't buy this ridiculous narrative that you see these clickbaity headlines in the media all the time about how technology is addicting you, technology is hijacking your brain, it's manipulating everybody. It is rubbish. The science doesn't prove it. It's just not true and it's not helpful. And frankly, I'm tired of these professors who don't even have a social media account telling people to, you know, stop checking email, stop checking social media because you, you'll get fired. It's just stupid advice. And so instead, we need to realize that there's no moral hierarchy here, that anything you plan to do, do it, enjoy it, whether that's going on Facebook or Instagram or watching a YouTube video or Netflix, it's all great. There's nothing wrong with any of these technologies if you use them on your schedule, not the tech companies. And that's the really important distinction between traction and distraction, it's intent. But here's the thing, you mentioned time boxing as one of the, uh, one of the things you took away from the book. You cannot call something a distraction if you don't know what it distracted you from. Okay, let me say that again. I don't want to hear anyone whining like I used to whine about, <laughs> oh, the world is so distracting these days and look what's going on in the news and my boss wants this and my kids want that. Uh, you know, I can't, I can't concentrate. I can't focus. I can't, I'm constantly distracted. Well, but what's on your calendar? If you've got a bunch of white space in your day, I don't want to hear it because everything is a distraction if you don't know what you got distracted from. So this is why we have to use this technique uh, of time boxing, which is where we plan out what we want to do with our time. And it, this isn't a technique I made up. This has actually been validated in thousands of peer-reviewed studies. The idea here, it's called making an implementation intention, which is just a fancy way of saying planning out what you're going to do and when you're going to do it. And so that simple tactic has been shown to be incredibly effective. And I'm not just talking about, you know, the, the boring work stuff. I want you to plan the fun stuff too. So if you want to play a video game, do it, enjoy it, have fun and do it without guilt because you know, from seven to nine o'clock, that's going to be your video game time. But by planning ahead, we're not using it as a distraction. We're not using it to take our mind off of our troubles, to escape our heads. No, we're using it because that's what we plan to do with our time. So we're actually turning distraction into traction by planning out when we are going to do that activity. I love that. And, and that, again, allows you to be fully present for whatever you're doing, even if it's playing video games, right? So you don't feel guilty yeah. about what you're not doing um, because you know something's scheduled, um, whether it's productivity or family time. You know, that was a, a big game changer for me. So I, I really appreciate that. And it, it allowed me to understand how many hours and minutes a day were just completely wasted, right? Mm. Um, you just think about, you know, if you sleep eight hours a day and you work eight hours a day, you look at that eight hours of work and you're probably really only working about three or four if you're deliberate with what you're doing. You know, the eight is kind of the, the padding of I just want to look like I'm busy and working or kind of <laughs> filling my time, right? Yeah, um, it's but, true. You know, what I realized it's between activities when you're just trying to figure out, wait, what do I do next? And the problem yeah. is, if you don't decide in advance, you know what you're going to do next. You'll just check Instagram for a quick sec, or you'll just check email for a quick minute, and you don't do the stuff that's actually important for you to do. Right, and you revert back to your, uh, you know, your hardwiring, your uh, your old habits and patterns, right? Right, that's exactly right. The unconscious. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, we, we've nailed, we've kind of hit the head on um, personal accountability. So not blaming 
technology companies, not blaming, you know, if we're talking about, you know, weight loss, not blaming fast food companies, because we all have <laughs> the choice and we can all be a, a bit more mindful. Do you think, you know, our Western world is at a bit of a disadvantage because we're not necessarily given the tools for mindfulness from an early age? Well, I, I don't know if, you know, mindfulness is one potential solution. I, I don't, I think it's a little bit oversold, to be honest. Um, you know, mindfulness is great for some things, uh, but sometimes you have to get off your butt and fix the problem. You can't, you, we can't mindful and meditate our problems away. Now that's not, I'm not dissing it. It's wonderful if you can do it. And if it works for you, you should absolutely do it. And there are some problems that can only be fixed through conscious attention. So I'm not anti. What I'm anti is people who think it's the panacea for everything. It's it's a tool in your toolkit, but there's lots of other solutions. Principally, fixing the source of the discomfort, right? Uh, you know, being mindful about how I was overeating wasn't fixing the fact that I was lonely, right? Wasn't fixing the fact that I couldn't deal with my guilt and shame. Mindfulness wouldn't fix that for me. I had to fix the problem. And so we need to understand the difference between when we should act and when there are things that we cannot change, when there are sensations that we need to learn how to respond to in a healthful manner. You see, most people, when it comes to distraction, they fall into two categories. I call them the blamers and the shamers. The blamers, they say, oh, it's this thing that did it to me. It's the iPhone. It's Facebook. It's the, you know, it's, oh, I hear this a lot these days. It's the modern world these days, right? That's what's doing it to me. <laughs> but of course, you that's futile. You can't do anything about that stuff. What, are we going to hop into a time machine and go back to some fictional good old days? There were never good old days. People have always been complaining about distraction all the way back to Plato. 2,500 years ago, Plato, the philosopher, talked about how distracting the world is these days. So there's never been a time when the world wasn't distracted. People have always been distracted by one thing or another. So blaming is not useful. The other extreme is the shamer. The shamer doesn't blame things outside themselves. They shame themselves. They tell themselves, and this is very, very common. They tell themselves, there I go again. I always do this. I have a short attention span. There must be something wrong with me. And what this, you know, so they take it inside. They shame themselves. And of course, the irony here is that shame is a very uncomfortable internal trigger. It makes us feel horrible. And what do we do when we feel horrible? We look for something to relieve that discomfort. And guess what we use to relieve that discomfort? More distraction to take our mind off of those uncomfortable sensations. So that doesn't work either. So we don't want to be a blamer. We don't want to be a shamer. We want to be what we call a claimer. A claimer claims responsibility not for how they feel. Okay, this is super important. Many people don't realize this. You have no control over how you feel. You do not control your urges, okay? That is outside of your control. You know, asking someone to control their feelings is like asking someone to control the urge to sneeze. You, you can't do it. Once you feel the urge to sneeze, it's too late. You didn't, you didn't ask to feel the urge to sneeze. It's just something that happens. The question is, how do you respond to that urge, right? What do you do in response to that feeling. If you feel the urge to sneeze, do you sneeze all over everyone and get them sick? Or do you get a handkerchief and cover your face? Well, of course, the responsible thing to do, hence how we respond to these sensations, is to make sure we have steps to make sure that we do helpful things as opposed to hurtful things. So the same goes with these emotions. 
how we react to stress, anxiety, uncertainty, fatigue, loneliness, this is where we become the people we want to become. It's all about how we respond to these uncomfortable internal uh, triggers. You cannot control the urge to eat that chocolate cake or to check Facebook or to do whatever it is that's tempting you towards distraction. You don't control the urge. You only control how you respond to that urge. Do you respond with mindless distraction or do you respond with helpful traction? Right. So it's, it's in a sense making, you know, the unconscious conscious, becoming aware of what's going on, why you're doing what you're doing, and then implementing a solution like what you give these actionable, you know, steps to become indistractable. It seems um, a lot of people have a hard time making that first step to bringing consciousness to actually what they're they're doing unconsciously. Right. Right. So it's about replacing that habit. It's really a, a habitual behavior because what, what many people find is that they have become habituated to seeking escape, whether it's too much news, too much booze, too much Facebook, too much football, you name it. You know, we, we look instinct, we, we look habitually for something to alleviate our discomfort. You, we got to remember all human behavior, everything you do, it's not about the pursuit of pleasure. It's not about carrots and sticks. That actually turns out not to be true. Neurologically, everything you do, everything you do is about the need to escape discomfort. Uh, this is called the homeostatic response. And it's, it's very important to understand because everything you do is about a desire to escape discomfort. Uh, and that includes our psychological as well as physiological sensations. This is called the homeostatic response. So if you think about it, you know, wh wh why are we, you know, when we're feeling um, lonely, we check Facebook. When we're uncertain, we Google. When we are bored, well, there's lots uh, of solutions for boredom, right? The, the news or uh, Reddit or Pinterest or, I mean, Netflix, it goes on and on and on. Lots of things that we, everything we do is about the desire to escape discomfort. So what that means, therefore, is that time management is pain management. And so we have to understand this fact that time management is pain management because no life hacks, no productivity techniques, uh, you know, none of that stuff works unless first and foremost, we understand how to deal with these internal triggers in a way that leads us towards traction rather than distraction. Got it. Okay. That's awesome. So I want to get into, um, you know, you posted on LinkedIn tips of guiding or building indistractable children. And I was joking around mm -hmm. with you that, you know, step one is to become, <laughs> to become an indistractable parent, right? Uh, yeah. first, and then step two is see step one, but I have children five and two, you have children. Um, I think a lot of parents kind of have this scapegoat and they've kind of given up in the sense of saying like, well, what can I do? Like they, they, they're extreme in, in their approach to it. They said, well, I can't control them from watching YouTube and going online. So I, I just, I'm not going to do anything. Right. W mm. What is your biggest advice to parents in kind of developing and, and nurturing an indestructible child? Yeah. So there's a whole section on the book on, on this question. So the first half of the book is about how you can become indestructible. It's about these four basic strategies. Uh, I've really done a ton of research to, to have the most science-backed peer-reviewed studies. This is not, you know, my personal uh, techniques. This is all peer-reviewed journal studies. There's 30 pages of citations. And that's, that's the first half of the book, stuff you can do for yourself. 
The second half of the book is about the various environments and people that we interact with because you might be indistractable, but what if your boss keeps distracting you? What if your kids are distracted or distracting you? Uh, what if your spouse or your relationships, your friends are distracting you? How do we help those people and so that we can help ourselves and live the kind of lives we really want? And so that's what the second half of the book is, is, is uh, uh, covers. And so this section on raising indistractable kids is incredibly important. I have an 11-year-old little girl, and uh, this, is, this is, I think, incredibly important because – you know, if you think the world is distracting now, just wait a few years. <laughs> uh, the world right. is only going to become a more distracting place in the years to come. And so that means it is critical to teach our kids how to become indistractable. And, you know, it, it, it is without question now that uh, conscientiousness, which is one of the five big personality traits, so we call them the big five in psychology, and conscientiousness, this ability to follow through self-control, is the greatest predictor that we know of, more than socioeconomic conditions, more than race, uh, more than intelligence, higher than intelligence. It's about three times better predictor than IQ for someone's future life, how much money they earn, how happy they are, their sense of well-being. All of this goes back to conscientiousness, this ability to do what we say we're going to do. So this is no joke. Teaching your kids to become indistractable is the most important skill you can teach them because, again, it's a macro skill. If you do what you say you're going to do, if you live with personal integrity, if you are indistractable, there is no area of your life this doesn't affect. It affects your physical health, your psychological well-being, your earning potential, your relationships. Everything comes down to managing your attention, doing what you said you're going to do, and controlling your life, having the kind of life you want. It all comes down to managing attention. So that being said, how do we raise indistractable kids? So no joke, you were absolutely right. The number one step is to become indistractable yourself because you know children come with – I don't know if you know this, but your children came they, – they came pre-installed when they were born with what we call – hypocrisy detection devices. And I know you've seen this, right? Your kids have these little <laughs> invisible antennas and they're always scanning to see where you screw up. And it, they love to call you out. I know my daughter does. If I mess up, she loves to call me out because we can't be hypocrites, right? If we say to do one thing, you can't tell your kid, stop playing Fortnite while you're checking Facebook. It doesn't work that way. And so we have to become indistractable ourselves. The next step is to follow the four strategies that I outline in Indistractable, the same four strategies that we would follow for ourselves. We have to teach our kids how to become indistractable. And those four steps, number one is mastering the internal triggers, which we talked about earlier, those uncomfortable emotional states. So we have to figure out what is driving our kids to overuse technology. And, le and let me get back to this because this is a, a deeper point. You know, many parents think it's it's the technology doing it, but in fact, we have to ask ourselves, well, what is it about the technology? Why are kids overusing? What's It's called the needs displacement hypothesis. What is it they're looking for that they're not getting offline, that they're looking for online? So we'll get back to that in a minute. The next three steps, step number two is about making time for traction. So this is about involving your kids in setting a schedule, especially for kids today who are homeschooled uh, during during the, the quarantine period, you know, having a schedule that they help, not that that is imposed upon them, but that they help construct for themselves, which includes time for fun, right? 
if your kid wants to play video games, that's fine. But let's schedule that time and involve them in how much time they want. So, for example, in, in, in uh, my family, when my daughter was just five years old, you know, we sat down with her and we said, look, you know, by the way, when she was only two, some of her first words were iPad time, iPad time. <laughs> And this was this was incredibly annoying. And, and we frankly, we it was she was overdoing it at one point. So we sat down with her and we said, OK, look, honey, the cost of using too much screen time is an opportunity cost. Because remember, we, we don't want to scare the hell out of our kids. We want our kids to be comfortable with technology. Their future jobs depend on it. So we don't want to tell them that, oh, it's melting your brain. It's bad for you. That's stupid. And it's not true. Right, so it's right. what we said is, look. The, the, the bad aspect of using these screens too much is nothing more than an opportunity cost. It's the cost of playing with your friends. It's the cost of spending time with mommy and daddy. It's the time you would have spent with other interesting forms of media like books or other things that you could be doing with your time. So we asked her, we gave her the control and we said, look, how much time, given all the other things you want to do in your day, how much time would you like to spend with your iPad? And, and I thought she was going to say all day, but here's what she said. After we had this discussion about, you know, what, what other things you'd like to do in your day, she said, well, how about two episodes? Two episodes means 45 minutes, right? Two, she's talking about two Netflix episodes of, a, of, a, of an age-appropriate kids show. I got no problem with that. In fact, there's been zero studies, zero, that show that two hours or less of age-appropriate screen time has any negative effects. So 45 minutes is just fine by me. But then I said, okay, that's fine. But how will you make sure that you follow your own rules around those 45 minutes? Because if, if you don't follow that rule, then we're going to need to have another discussion. So I put the agency in her hands. I gave her the control. And here's what she said. She said, well, you know, at the time we had this microwave that was below our countertop. And she said, how about this, daddy? How about I use the timer on the microwave, and she knew how to use it at the time, and I'll set the timer for 45 minutes, and when the timer beeps, I'll know my time is up. Great. Now she's 11 years old. She started doing this when she was five. Today, wow. she actually wow. has the, this integrated into her iPad, right? Now the iPads come with screen time, and uh, sometimes she'll say to, to the Amazon Alexa, she'll say, Alexa, set the timer for 45 minutes. And now the important thing here is that I'm not the bad guy. It's not mean old daddy saying, get off your iPad. She has learned to self-regulate. Because remember, we are not raising kids. We are raising future adults. And so if you want to raise a cheater, if you want to raise a liar, impose rules. Tell them what to do. If you want to raise a, an adult who can self-regulate, who learns how to build conscientiousness into their lives, how to build self-discipline and become indistractable, help them learn to regulate themselves, right? Because just bossing our kids around turns them into cheaters because you know that's what they're going to do when they go to their friend's house. They'll, you know, when you're not looking, they'll do what they want. When they go off to college, they'll do what they want. When they leave the house, they'll do what they want. So we want to build this lifelong skill of becoming indistractable today by teaching them how to regulate themselves. So that's step two is all about making time for traction. Step number three is about hacking back the external triggers, which uh, we can get to if you want in more depth. Step four is about how to prevent distraction with PACs, which is about how we can teach our kids to actually use technology to block out technology. So those are the four steps. Ma uh, master internal triggers, make time for traction, 
hack back external triggers, and prevent distraction with packs. And I'm going to take a pause there because I've been talking for a while. So let's <laughs> let you guide me to where you want me to go in more depth. No, <laughs> that was that was amazing. Um, you know, it reminds me of you mentioned Big Five. I'm a big fan of Jordan Peterson, and, and he basically to the sentiment he says, "You can't protect your kids. You can only make them resilient." Right. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you can either shelter your children from all of this technology. Um, you can boss them around and tell them exactly what to do, or you can use your method and teach them to self-regulate and really understand, you know, this is going to be a part of their life for the, the rest of their life and things like this. And it transfers over to, you know, even eating and overindulging in, in sweets or whatever you might call it. And that could lead to alcoholism, drugs, and all that. And it's it's more of the habit of giving in um, or creating bad habits when you're young on, it could be technology, but it could, you know, transfer down to something worse later on in life, right? So yeah. it seems like there's only three three choices. It's shelter your kids. It's, uh, you know, boss them around and, and tell them exactly what to do. Or it's, you know, teach them to be resilient with all yeah. of this. So I, I love right. that. And, and we are really robbing, you know, many parents think that, that uh, they're loving their kids by, by imposing these, these strict rules. And there's nothing wrong, by the way, with having structure in a kid's life. But again, we want to give them the autonomy and agency to be part of that. So don't impose a schedule on your kids. Involve them in making a schedule. Ask them how much screen time they would like, given all the other things they want to do with their time. These, and, and by the way, be vulnerable yourself. Right. Many parents don't think that they have to be perfect in the eyes of their child. They can't admit mistakes. Quite the opposite. We find that children are more likely to respect you and and adopt this mentality of what we call a growth mindset. If you read the work of Carol Dweck, fantastic work. Important is to be a growth mindset person uh, when we reveal our struggles. So it's perfectly fine to say, you know what, I am also indistractable. I am I am learning how to put these these distractions in their place and having these conversations about how you can do this together as a family is is an incredible opportunity for you i think that's key is it's no matter how young the child is um you know speaking to them as if they are an adult in a sense right not not babying your baby in a way wait i'm sorry i might have i missed that what what was the so, so the, you know, not babying the baby, right? Not babying. Um, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's about, and of course, it has to be age appropriate content, right? The, the, the way I think about it is kind of like a, a swimming pool that, uh, you know, if you're not going to take a toddler to the pool and say, all right, swim, bye, I'm going to go have a cup of coffee at Starbucks with my friend <laughs> um, and leave your toddler to figure out how to swim on their own. No, we want to teach children how to swim. Are, are pools dangerous? Yes, swimming pools are incredibly dangerous. You know how many kids drown every year? It's very dangerous. But does that mean we don't let kids enjoy themselves in a swimming pool just because it's potentially dangerous? No, we teach them how to swim. And the same thing goes when it comes to our online technologies and potential distractions. Uh, The Internet is a wonderful place, but there's a lot of places I wouldn't let my kid go online. There's a lot of places I wouldn't let my kid go with any form of media. Right. I'm not going to let my kid walk into a library as good as books and reading uh, can be. I'm not going to let my kid read any book because there's a lot of books. An 11 year old is not ready to read. So with any form of media, we have to make sure it's age appropriate. You know, I, I don't know who got this idea that an iPad is a nine Annie, 
we have to make sure that we we uh, give our kids age appropriate content and we teach them how to use these tools in a way that serves them. That's right. So I'm going to ask one more question and, and we'll wrap it up. I know your your time is running out. Um, given the the circumstances of of I guess where the world is at right now, understanding that people are in this you know primal state of fear. Um, what would be just your your best piece of advice to get started on becoming indistractable from potentially, you know, the news and the addiction to the news? Yeah, so this is a big one because what's changed in our lives these days is that, um, you know, I think two big things have happened since the the Corona crisis uh, exploded. You know, I, I wrote the book Indistractable well before the current uh, virus crisis. Uh, and, and the world has become even more uh, in need of this. And I've, I've yeah. actually seen it play out on Amazon. The, the book is sales have, have doubled uh, recently uh, because people are really desperate to figure out how to keep their sanity now that there are you know, all these changes, all this, 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 uh, um, uh, all this has happened is, is really throwing people for a loop. And I think you know, there's a reason that we feel more distracted right now. And I think there's, there's two big reasons. Number one, there's a lot more uncertainty and fear in the world. And these are very powerful internal triggers. As we talked about earlier, distraction, the root cause of all distraction is the desire to escape discomfort. So from an emotional discomfort perspective, if you are more fearful, more stressed, more anxious, you will be more likely to look for something to take your mind off of those uncomfortable sensations. And if you don't have techniques to deal with that discomfort in a healthy way that leads you towards traction, it's going to lead you towards distraction. So you're gonna feel more distracted because you're trying to escape these uncomfortable sensations. The good news is we can learn how to deal with them in a much healthier way, and that's exactly what, what a good chunk of the book is about. The second thing that's happened is because people are, are you know, many people are we're now working from home, um, the, the structure in our day is now gone, right? You know, the, one of the, it's, it's, I just saw this article the other day about how the search term on this search term on Google is, uh, is, is, it has grown exponentially since the, the, the virus crisis, uh, the term for what day is it? Right? <laughs> like people can't keep track of what day of the week is it is because, the structure they used to have in their day of, okay, it's time to wake up, it's time to make breakfast, it's time to get the kids out to school, time to sit in traffic, get to work, you know, those, that kind of structure is now gone that we're working from home. Um, you know, for, it should be a good thing, right? We're saving hours and hours of time now that we're working from home. We're not stuck in traffic. We're not schlepping the kids around town. So it should actually give us a lot more time. Um, however, if we don't reimpose that kind of structure for ourselves, uh, then then it all becomes one big blur. Because again, if you don't if you don't you can't call yourself you can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So unless we have that kind of structure in our day, it, it literally is maddening. It drives us crazy. So we can reimpose that kind of structure for ourselves. And in fact, it's much more fulfilling, right? When somebody else tells you where to be and what to go, it sucks. It feels like you're being, you know, uh, micromanaged. But when you set your own schedule, it actually helps you become your best self. I love that. I love that. So Nir, can you tell us where everybody can find you, um, where we can find Hooked and Indistractable and anything else that you want to share from a social media standpoint? Sure thing. So yeah, so uh, you can check out my website at nearandfar.com. That's spelled like my first name. So N-I-R is my first name, near. And so it's nirandfar.com. 
And the book is called Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. It's available wherever books are sold. And if you go to indistractable.com, there's actually an 80-page workbook there that's complimentary, uh, as well as a bunch of other resources that you can get there as well. So check that out. Nir, I appreciate you uh, jumping on. I really, really enjoyed our conversation. Until our next episode, we'll see you then. Hey, it's your host, Brian Alexander here. Thank you for listening. I had a favor to ask you guys. If you found value in what you heard and in our show and listening to our guests, can you please do me a favor? Wherever you are, please subscribe. Second favor is, if you liked it, please share it. That's how we get the word out. And thirdly, if you know someone that would be a great guest, including yourself, please send me an email. It's brian at expressingthegeniuswithin.com. Lastly, if you want to connect, chat, idea storm, or anything in that arena, I love talking to our guests. I love learning. I love collaborating. Please reach out to me the same email, brian at expressingthegeniuswithin.com. And lastly, Go ahead and take that free predictive index behavioral assessment on expressingthegeniuswithin.com to learn a little bit more about yourself. What this measures is your drives and the needs and behaviors associated with those drives. Can't wait to hear from you guys. Thanks so much and we'll talk to you soon.